Good morning, my friends out there. This is the Planetary Status Report. It is Friday, December the 24th, 2021, Christmas Eve, and so a Merry Christmas to all you folks out there. I have had to move my podcast around a bit, but if you are a long-time listener, you know I've spoken with this guy before. I am on the air with my friend Jim Davidson, and I just want to say first, hey, good morning, Jim. Good morning, and Merry Christmas. Yep, Merry Christmas. And I don't want to go too much into specifics about Jim's background because other podcasts have covered that, but Jim, would you like to give people a summary of your background and, um, you know, just just a quick summary if you're okay with that because you haven't been yeah, on Yeah, sure. Long. I was uh, born in the USA, and then I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, and... Uh, when we moved there, uh, Wilt Chamberlain was playing for the uh, Kansas Jayhawks, so, you know, kind of cool. Um, I uh, went to college in New York City, uh, in, in Harlem, actually. Um, actually, we, we took a tour and went around to the, the, the tenements in Harlem, and they all said, uh, you know, the Columbia University trustees own this, and so all of your, all of your um, <clears throat> scholarship money is paid for by these poor people. So that was something to, to live up to. And uh, then I went to Rice University for an MBA and, uh, you know, Master of Brittle Administration. So, and uh, so I learned how to administer the brutality. Yes, I did. And, um, and then I started working in the space industry. I worked for Deep Slayton for a while, and um, then I worked for um, Walt Anderson for a while. And then I set up on my own, um, and that got me into a lot of trouble. That was, that was really I got to find out um, about cruel and unusual punishment in the United States. Uh, every uh, every wall, they had at least one um, eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper that said that um, being in Old Harris County was uh, was cruel and unusual punishment because there was sewage on the floor and it was really nasty. Um, and then uh, I realized. You know, in this moment of clarity, uh, while I'm uh, standing in, you know, an inch of sewage uh, in a jail cell, uh, not having committed a crime, but having been arrested and falsely charged and perp walked on camera, I realized that I wasn't living in a free country. It was it was staggering. It really, you know, it was like watching all of my illusions break at once. And that was 1991. So it's been, you know, it's been 30 years. Arguably, I've gotten used to it. Um, I woke up, they say, they talk about being awake, you know, I woke up, I took the, the red pill, I was not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy, and um, started looking for a free country. It was a while before I realized that it wasn't easy to find a free country, and then I realized that there were none. And then I realized that if there were going to be one, you'd have to build one. And I started thinking about that. And by this time, I had gone to Europe and Asia and Africa, traveled around North America, and met a bunch of people who were interested in freedom and visited a bunch of places where they were actually talking about individual sovereignty. And so that was nice. But um, I recognized that... The United States had the people who were really interested in freedom because in the history of the United States, the people who got kicked out of all of the really interesting countries were sent here. And, uh, you know, 
our spirit out here west of the Mississippi. The people who, you know, got used to, you know, luxury and nice things uh, stayed in the eastern coastal cities, but the rest of us, uh, you know, broke our indentures and ran away. There's a lot of talk now about the 1619 project, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is is that indentured servitude enslaved my ancestors um, just as, you know, chattel slavery enslaved African people and other people. So, you know, I think we've all suffered enough, and it's time to build a free country, and that's what I'm doing. I'm here in the Ozark Mountains near Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and that's what I'm, and that's what I'm doing. And and Jim, just because I'd like to keep this kind of organic but fluid, I'm going to follow some of the topics you gave me, but not go in precisely the same order. I, would you mind expanding on your Ozarkia project and what you've been working on there? Well, I feel like it's really important to acknowledge that I'm not here because this was a place that I thought was cool. I'm here because I was led here. I was brought here. God wanted me here. And... Um, I was I was shown some land. I realized in February of last year, February of 2020, that uh, this was really a good place. I became involved in a contract for deed. I worked on that for a while, and then I found a friend who would make a cash offer. So um, that offer has not been accepted yet, but there is. Uh, it also hasn't been rejected, so we're really not sure what what's going to happen. Next, um, that's 114 acres. It's a um, place south of Eureka Springs on Rockhouse Road. In the time since, I found a lot of different um, intentional communities are here, like the um, uh, Little Portions Hermitage, which is a Franciscan monastery near here. Um, the Open Air Meditation Sanctuary is an intentional community on about 30 acres near here. And uh, there are some others. And then there's um, the Ozark Herbal Academy, which I'm working on their business plan. With them, the, the, the leader of that project is Dakota. And uh, the land is 35 acres that are uh, managed by Michael Waters. And his family uh, are looking at buying additional land in the area. Um, the name Dakota is, is, is interesting because it's not like the state or the Native American population. It is D apostrophe, capital C-O-D-A, like a coda in the key of D, or D sharp, I guess it would be. Um, anyway, so... Um, she uh, hasn't used her um, system identity in over 30 years. She walked away from all of that. And for 10 years, uh, 1998 to about 2008, she lived in the wilderness in a, in a federal uh, wildlife management area. Um, she knows how to cure people with herbs. She knows how to cure herself with uh, herbal medicines. And um, she maintains a database with, like, I want to say 29,000 entries um, <clears throat> of herbs and conditions and uh, anatomy. And it, it has all kinds of, you know, ways of following the 
uh, the breadcrumb trail of, of connections between, you know, this part of the body and that part of the body, the endocrine system and over here, and the, these things do this. And, and then it links out to 500,000 uh, articles, uh, which are all like peer-reviewed articles, articles that you would find about things that are going on right now. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a subscription-only database, so you can, uh, you can sign up. For as little as five dollars, if you see her in person, you can get a, a membership and see what it's like, and you know, go through as much of it as you want. And then um, it's usually fifteen bucks a month or a hundred bucks a year, which is an eighty dollars savings off of the month-to-month rate. And uh, we're also working on classes. She has a YouTube channel. Um, we're going to try to uh, obviously, duh. Uh, make a backup of that on some other sites like LPRY and so forth. Uh, and uh, we're working on building a classroom building, building another building for making the herbal medicines. Uh, and I'm working on all of the costs and so forth. We're putting about $50,000 into a computer center and a similar amount into a video uh, production facility so that we can do remote learning. Um, <clears throat> And this is a place, this is an area where a lot of people have been brought. Um, we had a meeting, uh, well, it was last week. Um, everybody uh, who spoke, and there were like 15 people in the room, remarked on how they had not been here, but they had been, for one reason or another, felt that they had to come. Uh, well, for example, uh, my friend Robin Horn, who now has a, an apothecary in uh, Ada, Missouri, uh, she was in Florida uh, four years ago, and uh, God spoke to her and, and very clearly said, get your things together and get out, uh, which is, you know, <clears throat> one of those things when, 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 you know, like, have you ever seen the movie Amityville Horror? I have. Yeah. Okay. So the house tells you to get out. What do you do? Well, but, but screw around and have a movie? No, you can't get your shit. You can't out. But there's no time for a story after that. The house spoke to me and said, "Get out." However, Jim, Jim, I will say this: there's this Rick and Morty episode where the equivalent of Freddy Krueger named Scary Terry is chasing the main characters, and he keeps saying, "You can run, but you can't hide." And they pause for a second and realize, you know, we probably shouldn't take his advice. And so they decide to hide. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and it works, you know. You can run, but you can't hide. Yeah. That's great. That's good. Yeah, but, but, but still, if, if, if all the house really wants is for you to get out, I would be like, okay. Yeah, it's, that's a bad house. I don't want to live in the house. I don't want to challenge this whole concept of, you know, maybe I can live here for a little while while we uh, fix it up and get it ready for sale. No, I'm gone. I mean, listen, the house spoke. And this is the same sort of thing with a lot of the people who, who spoke um, at our meeting. Um, uh, this is the Eureka, Free, uh, Eureka Springs Freedom Cell. It's not, I'm not in charge of anything. God is in charge. I am simply one of the people who is here, and the concept is a decentralized network of uh, people. And the cellular concept, if you go to freedomcells.org, you know, there's some videos from my friend John Bush, 
and uh, from his buddy Derek Rose, who came up with the idea, which is that you know we don't need a hierarchy, we don't need a leader, a great leader. The the Mao will 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 be carried on palanquins across the the, the wastelands, and and people will you know die struggling with his litter and make sure that he never has to walk during the long march. But we will have a long march to create a Leaders are crap. Um, so what we need is is a what, what has been termed a leaderless resistance or a you know a network. Um, and the idea is that each cell has their own structure, and they don't have to do things the way other cells do. So it's kind of exciting. There's a lot of people involved here. Some of them are old. <sighs> some of them are, are are young and interesting, and some of them are um, you know literate. A lot of people with different skills, um, you know, and we have we have tools that we're working with. We are able to, to put things together and build up, and 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 I think you know I think uh, instead of build back better, which is obviously you know bullshit, we have the uh, we have the build freedom, build back freer would be how I would say BBF. Now, you are currently working on the business plan for the Ozark Herbal Academy, and is that related to Dakota's work? Yes, yes, that's, that's, the, um, that's one of the sites that um, she has, uh, ozarkherbalacademy.org, and then that should link you to uh, herbalknowledge.org or something, and she has a herbal database uh, website as well. And... Um, I am working on the business plans. The idea will be to sell some classes and also uh, build a library and some of these other things that we've talked about. And uh, there's a lot of, of interesting people and in, kind of in the background um, helping out with this project. So um, I think it's going to be very successful. And one of the things that is obviously clearly necessary is that um, – People can no longer simply accept the idea that someone else is taking care of all that. And by all that, I mean things like um, hospitals and paramedics and healthcare. Um, there was a time, you know, 10 years ago, people would say, well, I don't need to know how to heal myself because I can just go to the doctor and the doctor knows. Uh, and by the way, you know, in the last couple of years, they've basically made it so that you don't have to have um, a job or health insurance. There's some way in which the government will pay for all that. Well, of course, you know, that's a snare for your feet. It turns out that the government will pay for all that, but when you get there, um, they immediately want to inject you with poison. Um, and I don't think we should be around the bush, right? I mean, we don't need to. We don't have little, 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 little conversations anymore about. Uh, is it a vaccine? Well, does it prevent infection? Does it actually prevent you from getting the thing? No. I mean, no. Jim, if I can pause you, you know my opinion. I think it is pretty much just a psyop. I think there's a lot of psyop to it, but obviously, when people are have a a, a needle and there's some sort of serum in it, and they inject that into a person. Something is happening. It well, could be saline solution. It could be, it could be a poison. It could cause cancer. It could be nothing. Jim, I don't know yeah, what it is, exactly. but people are getting jabbed. People yeah. are getting jabbed. People I know personally have been jabbed. Yeah. And so 
I, I just, all I'm saying is, is, is that the, 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 the idea that you're going to let other people take care of all that and then watch them do TikTok videos dancing in the hallways of empty hospitals and somehow any of this shit makes sense. Um, I think we have to dismiss that as, as not you know, rational. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was in Seattle just for the audience. I lived in Seattle during 2020 and a big portion of 2021. I lived near the major hospitals. I lived in Chinatown. And what I can tell you is that during the great pandemic, no construction ever stopped. I have plenty of videotapes showing that if I ever find a place where I can live again. And basically the commies and the construction, all that kept going. The emergency hospital they set up was only up for a couple of weeks. I have zero evidence that any part of the COVID story is real. And as far as the vaccine goes, it doesn't matter if it's a placebo. If you took a million placebo injections, you'd have some percentage of injuries just from idiots giving people injections. So it's irrelevant if it's just saline. There is no form of forced medical procedure that I would not classify as a kind of medical rape, period. I don't care if someone says, well, it's only a placebo. No, you don't get to take that thing and put it into somebody's body. You don't get to threaten people, threaten their jobs, threaten their ability to get food. But, you know, they do. They get to right now. Um, and, and people are stranded at airports right now because the unjabbed are not allowed to work in the airline industry, I gather, and Delta and, uh, you know, American Spirit. So they're, they're, they, they don't have enough people to move the people around. And people have, uh, you know, Americans notoriously put things out. And, and then notoriously also seem to believe that they should line up uh, like fucking cattle at the airports and get wand raped and inspected and scanned by devices and have their genitals felt off by some transportation fascism officer and uh i don't do that i mean i stopped doing that in 2002 i couldn't take it anymore um and, you know it would just scales back to the level of of you know of of hardcore fascism at the airports to you know how it was now 20 years ago wow 20 years ago this coming october Mm-hmm. Um, I, I took my last flight because I couldn't take it, you know, and um, and now they have labor shortages. Gosh, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the people in the Davos, Switzerland crowd have said that they want to kill off about seven or seven and a half billion people. And we're experiencing labor shortages. Well, you know, there's a surprise. They've taken a, a significant portion of the train intelligence and resistance to doing what you tell me because I don't agree with it. You know, they've taken that portion of the, of, of the uh, economy and said, no, you guys can't come to work anymore because, and then they don't really have a reason. It's just nonsense, but they, they, they won't let people work. And so the people who are smart enough not to be jabbed are not allowed to work anymore. Well, that's idiocy. And of course it leads to labor shortages. Gosh, can't replace pilots and stewardesses with, you know, homeless people on the street. There are a bunch of homeless people on the streets in different places, but you know, you can't, you can't just put one of them in the cockpit. That ain't going to work. I mean, they, they say the planes fly themselves now, but I don't really believe it. I, I think that there is no way 
given the nature of our current system, given the way it behaves, given its ability to solve problems, there is no amount of resources you could pour into that crappy old Ford pickup at this point to even get the engine to turn over. I, I, I think we're at peak stupidity, you know, is where we're at. And, you know, another thing, you remember, you, you know the concept of austerity, right, Jim? Yeah. Well, so Greece went through austerity from roughly 2009 until, you know, still going on. And austerity, to put it simply, is where you put the squeeze on the lower classes, but you print lots of money so that the upper classes don't default. That's, that's the simplest way to describe austerity. It, essentially, it's targeted at the poor. And one of the questions that came up when people were observing Greece 10 years ago is how could they ever get away with this in the United States? Well, Jim, they did. They did, they, they did it on a global scale, maybe, because I'm really not sure about the truth of what's going on outside this country. But I, I know this, they did it here. They did it in the United States. They, applied, they, they didn't ration milk. They didn't ration eggs. They didn't ration gasoline. They rationed human existence. Yes. You know? Yes, and they told you to stay home. And, and, and that's a really interesting result for a PSYOP, to make everybody so afraid to uh, make everybody angry about what's going on and confused about what to expect. Um, and what does this result in? It results in people seeking answers. And one group of people in the world, probably about 10% based on some psychobabble video I saw, uh, are easily hypnotized. And I've, 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 you know, done stage magic since I was a kid. I, I, I know something about hypnosis. And it is a thing that works. People do um, become tranced or entranced, and they become obedient to the commands they're given. And I wouldn't be surprised if up to 10% of the population is really easy to hypnotize. And 25% of the population just won't. You can't hypnotize them. There's something, I think it's probably a spiritual thing. There's something about their soul energy that just doesn't allow them to be hypnotized. Um, they won't even pretend, which is how most people, uh, you know, deal with being on stage with a hypnotist in the stage magic context. So, you know, 25% are resistant and 10% are very, very uh, prone to being hypnotized. And that leaves 65% that uh, will go pretty much wherever they think uh, their friends and family and the people who exert peer pressure uh, want them to go. And they will do what they're, you know, they're, they're instructed. And so if you put people in this, in this PSYOP, as you say, what is it psychological operation? Well, it's, a, it's an operation to, to affect the mind and to generate a desired result. And in this case, the desired outcome is chaos. The desired outcome is, is, is confusion and anxiety. And what does that lead to? Well, if your goal is to kill people and you want them to do it for you, uh, make people really anxious for a couple of years, and the suicide rate, watch the suicide rate. It, you know, where, where, where's the suicide rate? As far as we know, I mean, obviously we don't know anything about What's actually killing people, and we know that there are certain people, I think, that we can agree the government would be just as glad not to have anymore. And by government, I don't mean necessarily the, the formal you know, United States of America constitutional government. I mean the, 
the, the deep state and the Davos crowd and the people who, who believe that they have control of the world. Um, I'm sure that there's a list of people who, when they get jabbed, they get poisoned. They get something that kills them pretty quickly. Um, and if you look at some of the videos that are around, um, people dropping dead on, on uh, the, the, the soccer pitch. You know, what the hell is that? Why are athletes who are some of the most healthy people in the world taking the vaccine and then, and then you know, keeling over from heart attack? And, and Jim, it's a fair question to ask, given that they pretty much do control the media. I, I can speak as being a recent victim of non-existence there and being an unperson. It's yeah. fair to say that if they allow you to see videos and articles about soccer players dropping dead, there's a purpose behind that as well. I think so. And, and, and if I were guessing, and I, I have to admit I'm just guessing, I would guess that the objective is to have people anxious and worried. And they don't know what to expect. And what they're looking for, I think, is uh, someone to tell them how to make it okay again. People who are looking to authority are looking for someone to say, this is... All you have to do is X, Y, and Z, and then everything will be okay. And that, in part, explains the uptake of really, really irrational behaviors. Wearing a piece of cloth over your face does nothing to help you, and it actually injures you. And it does not have there, – there's no way that any of these masks stop virus particles. Even even the glorious science, uh, the science is, is his name, right? Not Anthony Fauci, but the science is, is, is how he likes to be addressed. He, he said in, in February, I think, of 2020, uh, masks aren't going to be effective against this. There's no point in masking. Uh, but there's a lot of money in selling masks, and there's a lot of money in, you know, compliance. So they, 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 they decided to push people into wearing masks and you know and it became you you were in seattle at a time when you couldn't get on public transportation without a, a, a little bandana around well that's so. right it's not and for a while they they weren't making you pay because they didn't want you to touch anything and then after a while they realized they did want you to pay honestly dude the gyrations they went through on the seattle metro was laughable and none of it made any sense unless it was a psyop the only well, way and it was broken before they did this, right? I mean, you were telling me about this this little this little classic Atlas shrug, uh, the calendar. Yeah, the calendar. Yeah, they have these in Seattle. They have these bus schedule, electronic bus signs that tell you when the bus is supposed to arrive. And yeah, before the COVID even hit, most of these signs I'd see would tell you the incorrect bus schedule for two years earlier. So it's like you know, that's mega useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but, but it's it's important for the time travelers amongst us because they could go back two years and get on the right butt. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one of the core themes of our of our podcast for today was to catch up at where we're at. You know, because we're almost two years into whatever the hell this is. Because to recap, Jim, and to recap for those who listen to my podcast, wherever they can find me on the web. This is all I'm really certain of. We are being lied to. We are being lied to on an epic scale. And it doesn't appear they control the schedule for what, for what they're worried about. And I would also add that just as a general heuristic, 
it's not very often that big lies conceal innocent innocent truths. It's usually the case that big lies conceal terrible things. Don't you think that's a fair statement, Jim? Right. There, there is no reason to lie on this scale unless you're planning to do something really important. Like a, well, like a surprise party, okay? If there was going to be some 2022 Bo Blimp Talk surprise party where everybody gets hookers and cocaine and free beer and weed and pizza for a year, then okay, they've been building up for it. Starship Jesus shows up with his Battlestar Galacticoid and delivers all the pizza. But barring a surprise party, there are very few examples where a group of people lie to another group of people or an individual and the outcome is positive. It's usually pretty bad. Right, and I myself don't uh, don't like the whole surprise party thing. I don't I don't find that to be an enjoyable experience. So I discourage that among people, and that's you know, and 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 the upshot of that is is that I would rather know the truth in the whole of it. Let there be no more shame. I I don't I don't need to be treated like a child. I don't want to be told that I can't handle the truth because I have. I mean, I, I won't say that it has been a uniformly, uh, you know, easy, simple experience handling the truth, but I, I do want to know the truth in all of it. And, um, and you were making a comparison um, on one of the earlier podcasts that you and I did about uh, two of these films comparing uh, the attitude in the 1950s and the attitude more recently. Yeah, you're talking uh, about but, yeah, yeah, you're talking about comparing the film Melancholia that came out I think about 10 years ago to the film When Worlds Collide, which is a um Right. Oh, it 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 came out in I think around 1950. Um it was one of yeah, those or 55 or something. Yeah, way back. Yeah. When George Powell. It was a George Powell. When people yeah. when people still graduated high school knowing how to read and having been exposed to some of the classics People had mathematics. People had some sense of understanding. We, we hadn't had the communists in charge of education for long enough to completely destroy things. And it was George Powell? Yeah, it was George Powell, I think, when worlds collide. And, and, they, and, and the theme of it is, is that there's this terrible disaster coming. There's going to be a, you know, another rogue planet through our solar system that's going to completely disrupt everything. And there's danger and problems. And they tell everybody, and people prepare, and they begin thinking about solutions. Exactly. Where could I go where I would survive with my family, and how could I build a spaceship that would help get some people off so that they have alternatives? And, 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 and there was you know, a, a, a livable planet in the, in the other solar system that's coming through. And, and, and so people have time to adjust their thinking to what's coming, and they also have their, their, their mental... And, and spiritual, you know, energy that they can put towards a solution that, that they might get through this. And this seems like a much better approach to what to do if there's a global disaster. Right. And, and Melancholia. Tell me about Melancholia. Well, Melancholia, which I like the movie, but it's really uh. one, one long, dreary procession towards death. 
and it's intermittently filled with, you know, deception and lying. And one of the core themes of melancholia is how depressed people, people who suffer from depression, how they deal with catastrophe. But the thing is that in nowhere in the film do you get the sense from any of the characters that there is either a desire for honesty or a desire for solutions. And this is what I would like to shift to because this topic has come up recently in my podcast and it really shows up all over the internet. And the topic is learned helplessness. Because we really do have a society of learned helplessness now. You're told that you don't... It's, it's like when you're talking about medicine earlier, herbal medicine. We're told we can't solve health problems. We're told that we couldn't live without hospitals. We couldn't live without police officers and nuclear missiles and all the other garbage they shoved down our existential throat. And it is a general learned helplessness. And you could say it comes from public schools. And I think a lot of it does. But that infects all of society now, Jim, don't you think? Oh, I would definitely agree. And, and like you say, it's, it's everything. Because you can defend yourself. You can learn to use defensive tools. And, and, and we have sophisticated guns now, so it's not that hard for a, a weak young woman to have more firepower than a 200-pound man who's coming to try to you know, attack her. And so, you know, we really don't need law enforcement officers to force us to accept all of the, you know, the tyranny that's, that's being imposed. But there are people who want us to be disarmed. There are people who want us to be forced into helplessness. And, and the, the school system, the teaching, is, is meant to teach people to accept that. I mean, there used to be gun clubs at the high schools. We have a gun culture in this country. Yeah. And all of that was taken away. All of that was, well, oh, no, it's too dangerous. Well, the insurance companies won't, won't let us have insurance for that. You know, that, that, that's the same rationale for getting rid of the public diving board at swimming pools. I was like, why is there no diving board here in this pool? Oh, because, you know, the insurance company wouldn't let us. We can't do anything without insurance. <sighs> I, I, I have to say, Jim, I think one of the most insidious forces in our society, not the only one, but I think it's a principal one, is the legal system. The lawyers that support it, the entire system, because their existence depends upon learned helplessness. Their existence depends upon the idea that not only can we not resolve conflict, we can't figure out what kind of food to eat, we can't figure out whether guns are safe, we can't figure out whether or not we have a right or we should or not take a vaccination. The lawyers in America, and I want to specifically call out the ACLU, have failed. Whatever the principal purpose of the Bill of Rights was, they have failed the Bill of Rights. You know, we can say that absolutely, can't we? I think we can. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a category of lawyers that get a certain type of job in city, county, state, and national legislatures. If you look at who actually creates all of these new horrifyingly stupid laws with all of these powers that, that regulatory agencies are suddenly given to make regulations, and then you look at a wall an entire wall that would, 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 would fill floor to ceiling, a 10-foot by 50-foot wall, 10-foot tall, 50-foot long, with, with notebooks, loose-leaf notebooks of all of the stupid government regulations just to keep up with what is the law. 
That's because of the preponderance and the proliferation of lawyers and allowing them into the legislatures. Every single lawyer in every legislature should be dragged from their home and forced to pay compensation of all of their assets, including their home, to the victims of all of this, this, this ridiculousness. Because the lawyers are essential to the making of new complicated laws. If you look at, at the tax code, why is the tax code so complicated? There was a proposal you know, 20 years ago, uh, Steve Ford maybe or someone was running for president. He was like, well, I think we should have it on a postcard. I, you know, here's your income. Here's, you know, 15% of that. And here's, here's that amount. And, you know, you send it in. And there are countries where that's the, that's the tax code for income tax. I don't think there should be any tax, but, you know, if you're going to have an income tax, it shouldn't require you to fill out three pages of paperwork with, with 20 pages of addendum. And can I pause you there for a second too, Jim? If you're going to tax people, I don't like it. But if you're going to tax people, people, if you're going to have to do that, you don't have to invade their privacy. And the problem with our tax system isn't just that they steal our money, but they steal our privacy, Jim. It is none of the government's business how I make my living. None. And it's a violation of your Fourth Amendment right to be safe from unreasonable searches and seizures of your papers and your property. And it's, it's a violation of your Fifth Amendment freedom to be not testifying against yourself. And a lot of people I know noticed in the, I think it was 1998 or so, there was, there were hearings, Congress had hearings on whether or not, uh, you know, the IRS should be reformed because here were all of these Americans who had been brutalized in their own homes, in their offices, by the IRS agents who, who terrorized. And so after hearing, you know, a few weeks of testimony from all of these Americans who, who didn't like the IRS and felt they had been abused, the Congress called the IRS commissioner. He sat in front of them and he told them that in 1998, 66 million Americans, they thought, the IRS thought, should be filing income tax papers. We're not filing. And what are they going to do? They can't, they're not jail cells enough for all of them. They can't, you know, they can't hire, you know, two guards for every 10 Americans that they're putting in jail. How are they going to do that? So what do they do? Well, they, 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 they're brutal deliberately to try to encourage people to comply with a system that they know they don't have the ability to enforce. Well, since then, every year the number's gone up. I think in 2019, the last year I looked, it was something like 125 million Americans that the IRS thinks ought to be filing tax. Don't. And that's a third of the country. I think that's a really good result. I think people don't want to be a part of a system that's run by a bunch of vicious, thug-like lawyers who get a law degree so that they can hurt other people. That's all people get law degrees for. And accountants, the tax accountants are particularly pernicious because they want a complex legal code. They want a complex tax code that's hard to figure out so that they can have H&R Block. We'll do it for you because we're smart. TurboTax will sell you this software because we're smart. And we want you to have a complicated, evil, pernicious, invasive of your privacy system so that we can have a job. That's parasite. That's the thinking of a parasite. Lawyers and politicians and bureau rats are parasites. And it's good that the system is falling apart. 
It really is. It's good because you can't build freedom on a foundation of sin. And you cannot, you, you, you cannot have a third of the country not complying and expecting any kind of good results out of this. They've made a system that is, that is reprehensible and terrible so that, so that they and their nieces and nephews and their children and grandchildren can have cushy jobs indoors where they work in air conditioning, writing stupid memo, legal memoranda and, and, and passing stupid laws and they send out a few people every once in a while to enforce these laws and mostly they just publish them in a, in a code of federal regulations and they tell people, comply, comply, comply. We're stupid. We hate you, but we want you to comply with us. And they've been doing that for my entire adult life and it's been getting worse. But, but the When fact, I was a yeah. kid, we talked about this. Yeah. We talked about how, well... And my brother's day, you could do this and this during the school hours, but then they, they put up some more barbed wire, we, we called it. It was literal barbed wire, but, you know. I mean, there was a three-foot fence around my, my playground and my grade school. And when I, one day, when I was particularly, I think it was eight or nine, I was particularly, you know, unhappy about school. Uh, morning recess, I walked to the back of the football field, and I climbed over that fence, and I went and got myself a roll of lifesavers. And then I, then I thought about how it was not going to go over really well with mom and dad if I showed up at home. So I climbed back over the fence and came in from recess about half an hour. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But, but you can't do that now. I mean, you'd have to climb a 12-foot fence. I put up a 12-foot fence. Oh, and it's worse, Jim. They would kick you out of school, and you, they'd give you a criminal record, and they'd probably yeah. call you a racist as well. And they would say terrible things about my parents for having raised such a child. And, <laughs> and when I was a kid, the, the, the playground had a jungle gym. A jungle gym made out of galvanized steel. It rose, I think, at least 12 feet high, and you could, you could climb, and I would, climb all the way up to the top and just sit up there. And what was down below? It wasn't, it wasn't pieces of rubber tire that had been shredded up and made into a pad. No, it was concrete. I mean, you know, if, 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 you, if, if, you, if you lost your grip, you could fall and break your head open. And, and people thought nothing of this. We rode our bikes to school, and we didn't wear helmets. Nobody wore a helmet. Why would you? You were riding a bicycle. It was a perfectly ordinary thing to go and do. But you not you don't put on a helmet when you get in a car, and that goes a lot faster. No, people people you know people have been told that they have to do things a certain stupid way by other stupid people who hate them and want to be parasites. And people have been like, ah, I don't want to fight. I I'll just do it. I'll just I'll go along, or I'll give the appearance of going along. And what what is that? It leads to what we've got. It leads to, well, I'll just get the jab because, oh, I'll get boosted because, eh, you know, everyone else is doing it. Well, I'll tell you what. It leads to death camps. That's where it leads. It leads to compliance zombies. And it leads to a society run by a very, very tiny coterie of really wealthy people who benefit when... The government prints more money when the Federal Reserve creates more money out of nothing. They get it first, and so they get to get all of the stuff that they want. And they will never run out of money. They, they have plenty of money in their bank accounts. And they don't particularly care about everybody else. 
but they do want things down. There was that guy, Mussolini, he made the trains run on time, Dan. They do want the trains to run on time. But the thing they is, want I, people to go to work I, I think that's the part that they can no longer effectively deliver. It's one of the reasons why they've gone hardcore on the military psychological warfare because it's crazy and it's dangerous, but it's relatively cheap to scare people. It's not smart to do it, but it's cheap. But actually fixing things and making things work, that requires resources and competency. And I, I think that they're beyond their capacity to do so. You know, about the time I started really getting hammered by internet censorship, was about the time I started calling the president the mayor of Washington, D.C. And I think that's where we're at in the game, Jim. I mean, I don't know what happens next, but I think his effective control or whoever's in control, I think their effective control is falling apart. And the only thing they got left is fear and, and the obedience of fearful slaves. But at some point, enough people will realize that the gates are kind of unlocked and there's nobody there. And so, really, what do you do? And I think the answer to that is, you do what you want. And what does that mean as a practical matter? Well, some people just want to have some nice stuff, and some people want to take a bunch of stuff and fence it and have money and not have a job. And so we have flash mobs doing this in some of the major cities where the, you know, the, the defund the police movement has, has led to the, and, and are they doing it in poor neighborhoods? Sure, some. They've always, they've always robbed each other. People have. But now they're going to the wealthy neighborhoods. They're knocking over Neiman Markets or, or whatever, you know. They're knocking over some pretty nice stores. And why is that? Well, because there's really no one to stop us. We outnumber them. There's hundreds of millions of Americans who aren't in the government. There's like four million people in different branches of government. And then there's like 20 million, 26 million school teachers. And nobody, no, nobody thinks the school teachers are going to force them to do anything. No one, no one pays attention. If a school teacher got up in front of a crowd and told them, you all have to do this because I say so, people would be like, shut up. And that's weird. And I think in December of 2021, um, almost 2022, that's where we're at. I think people, even though they're still getting kind of suckered, I think people are reaching a point of burnout. It's like, okay, the other day, the other day I was out with a friend. We were doing some work, some radio stuff. Um, my friend does ham radio stuff and CB stuff, so we have to adjust antennas that we have rigged in the trees. And a neighbor came by, you know, I'm not going to, this isn't a good guy or a bad guy. This is average American neighbor and he had a dog in his truck, and we had a dog outside, and the dogs do what dogs do. They go and want to visit each other, and he loses it. I mean, he loses it to the extent that threats are, threats are exchanged and, you know, stuff like that. And here's the deal. I'm not beating up on the neighbor because, as I told my friend, I said, that's the barometer right there. That's where you know where you're at. You know where you're at in the game because people on a very large scale – in my opinion, unless something radically changes, people are going to start losing it on a large scale. This is the part of the game where the ancient quote sort of is is made true. You know, those who the gods are about to destroy, they first make mad. And I think that's where we're at, Jim. Yes, but we don't say that, Dan. I mean, really, we don't say that. We don't call ourselves crazy. We prefer the term eccentric. 
Yes, yes. Except for this is the kind of eccentricity eccentricity that's going to lead to airline pilots nose diving, nuclear engineers flipping the wrong switches, and neighbors turning on each other. Right, and, and one of the exciting things is this is this is this thing coming out of the FAA. The crazy people who are parasites on the airline industry and make all these stupid rules have decided that the altimeters on aircraft will be interfered with by the 5G cellular frequency, which is quite close, I gather. And so they're saying, well, we have to delay the rollout of 5G because, gosh, planes are going to start falling out of the sky. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I think back in 2019, I had a bunch of podcasts that dealt with the subject of um, H1B. And full disclosure, this isn't about racist crap. This is about competency, too. And one of the points I made is a lot of the necessary engineers that were being brought in were not that competent. There were a lot of social engineers, a lot of people who had friends in China in high places and friends in India in high places. But were they actually competent to know what they were doing uh, when they were programming real-time systems for Boeing aircraft? No. And and I and I knew what I knew it was inevitable what was going to start happening because that's where we were at with technology. And in the last ten years and probably the last twenty years, I've noticed the same pattern. The quality and delivery's gone down, the cost has gone up, and the most important factor for most of these teams has nothing to do with engineering. It's this kind of nebulous social justice demon that hangs around the scrum room. But for the most part, engineering in this country has gone to crap, Jim. Right. Right, because it's no longer important whether or not you have engineering credentials. It's important whether you have woke credentials. It's not important to the people who make the hiring decisions in human resources who are kind of a parasite group that you are qualified to do the job of engineering. It's important that you say the right pronouns and you don't offend people and maybe you have you know cobbled together some sort of story about where you're an apache or uh you know a a pacific islander and therefore you have some sort of you know status that is accepted as being a traditionally rejected minority i mean one of the things that's, that's that's really bizarre and i think i i think is an important topic of sorts is is transgendered athletes now there's there's a a school where there's a a boy a male student who identifies as female and i don't know whether he's having you know his 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 equipment altered or not but he has been swimming on the swim team for the women and breaking all the records and, and beating all the other teams and winning all of the prizes. Now, when, when you think about this in terms of personal responsibility, supposing you're not from that swim team, and this and I think it's an Ivy League school, I don't remember which one, but you know, and that and, and now you're in a, a, a race. You and other members of your squad are racing against him and other members of his squad. I'm using him because I I don't care about his pronoun choice. To me, on personal responsibility, the 
those those women athletes should should refuse to race. If if this unfair advantage of a person who has uh, you know greater upper body strength and you know more muscle mass, if if he's going to be allowed to race in and it, what Title IX was supposed to create, you know, a, a separate women's athletics so that they could have their own contests. That's part of, of, of this idiotic, parasitical federal law nonsense. And, and, and so there is a women's swim team. And if the women are willing to race as, as if nothing has changed, then they're, they're, they're not taking personal responsibility. They should refuse to race. They should say, look... You know, forfeit. We would rather forfeit than race against this person who is clearly not meeting the test of, you know, having been born a woman and therefore having. And and, and the and the transgender crowd will say, well, then then you're you know you're transphobic, you're homophobic, and I'm not. I don't care. Do I care about the athletics? No, I don't care. But if 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 the women who do care, who are in college athletics and do think that they should have a race on the terms of women racing women. If they care about that, then they should refuse to race. They should forfeit the match because of the unfair advantage of one of the players on the other team. And if they are not willing to stand up and say, we won't race, we won't pretend that this is a fair and even playing field. We won't pretend if they would do that, this would end, but they won't. They won't do it because they've been taught, they've been trained, they've been schooled to obey and comply with a system that is on its face absurd. Yeah. And I think that you can get people to do absurd things, you can get people to do horrible things. Well, you can. I, I think, number one, I think their parents are probably pushing them too, which is, it's not just them, it's their parents. They're parents who do not want to look, you know, less than good according to their community they want a well, virtue right. signal well somebody you know? had to drive them when they were too young to drive but they were on the swim team in grade school and high school someone had to drive them at six in the morning to the natatorium so that they could they could you know practice their swimming and get good at it and, and qualify for the olympics there's a lot of that stupidity too parents don't care about their children they care about looking good to the other parents my job was in the olympic team oh i win I'm better than the other parents because, you know, screw you, mom. Stop making your kid get up at 6 in the morning or 5 in the morning before dawn to do what you want your child to do. Stop it. That's <laughs> disgusting. Especially, well, if it, yeah, especially if it looks like, a, at this point, a kind of absurd pointlessness. Because... You know, for okay, I'm not a legal expert. Full disclosure, I'm not a lawyer. But I have come to believe in my life that if there were a thing called the rule of law and you were in a bar fight and you fought somebody, it's a legitimate regular bar fight, you didn't plan it, you got into a fight, and a person dies and a person lives, you might get charged with a crime, but you're not going to be charged with murder. However, if you were a prize fighter and you got into a bar fight and you punched somebody in the face and you shoved their nose into their brain, there are, there, are, there are prosecutors who would claim that you had an unfair advantage. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jim. 
I think so, and then also that, that you, you would have known how to pull your punch. Exactly. So it seems to me that if it's okay to apply the rule of, well, everything's the same kind of in a mushy sense with respect to the swimming and the sports and the transgendered, then it seems to me that if a prize fighter punches somebody in the face and kills them, they should be treated like anybody else. Shouldn't they? I, I don't know. I mean, you know... I mean, all genders and all peoples are equal, right? According to the social justice code. I, I, I think that the administration of law should be equal. The administration of things that are coercive and you don't have power. The, the enforcement of your civil rights. You know, the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, actually you know, has the concept of civil liberties in their name, but it's obviously a lie now. And Nat Hentoff, who was on their board of directors in 2003, noticed that it had become a lie and objected. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the equal administration of, of government authority ought to be simply equal. People who are of whatever persuasion, religious persuasion, you know, physical characteristics, their skin color, their age, all people should be treated equally under the law, but not expect equal treatment in the economy. Obviously, you're not going to be able to lift 50-pound bags if you're a 70-pound weakling. And that's whether you're a man or a woman, and it has nothing to do with what gender you call yourself. If Can you lift a fucking 50-pound bag 100 times a day? Well, no, I can't even lift one. I'll, I'll fall over. Okay, well, then you probably won't get this job. And it's not any kind of racism or sexism or transphobia or whatever not to give jobs to people who are not physically qualified to do that. And it's not any kind of, of attack on people who cannot do engineering, who cannot solve a quadratic equation. Sit them down at, at, at a table and ask them to solve a set of quadratic equations. They can't do it. They don't have the math skills to do the engineering. Okay, so don't hire them. Oh, but traditionally, math has been taught to you know, white males, supremacists, and therefore we can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm sorry. I don't care. I want my I want my planes to stay in the sky. I want my my software to disable itself and put on a warning klaxon so the pilot is in control. When the plane software can't figure out that it's at the wrong altitude. But this. Jim, that's racist. What you just said, wanting all obviously. that to work. Correctly. It obviously is. I I am aware now that since Boeing became the monopoly of airline you know, airliner aircraft produ production, since they bought up the other kinds of, of competing airline companies, Boeing has been fined and has identified a, a, a patsy to take the fall for having written the software. I think it was, what, 737 MAX, or am I thinking 787 MAX? I don't know. Some plane in Ethiopia crashed into the ground because software decided to crash it into the ground. And the guy who was involved in making the managerial decisions decided that, well, it doesn't work very well, but we're going to go ahead and shake up the test so that we can get it through, you know, and, and he's been fined, and I think maybe even fired. Gosh, I, I don't know how many dead people 
Is he is he going to be paying compensation for the rest of his life to the, to the victims' families of the dead people? No. 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 No, and hey, dude, I want to move it along a little bit, um, but along the the thread of the manipulation too, and the general level of crazy. You mentioned to me the article about how the Russians, the evil Russians, have moved Russian military within two hundred miles of the Ukraine, and you yeah, also isn't that scary. It's so scary. I mean, I only studied you know Operation Barbarossa, and I know you're familiar with it, and you're familiar with the war between the Soviets and the Nazis in World War II. But yeah, 200 miles from U- from the Ukraine, and you point out that Lowell, Massachusetts, is 200 miles from Canada. Rockport, West Virginia, is too. I would say Fort Lewis is well within 200 miles of Canada. Um, does that mean that the United States is about to invade? I don't know. I mean, I have to say that the Massachusetts and West Virginia are notable in America for not having a border with Canada. Their state's completely separate. Yeah. And then this 200-mile thing is, is, is nonsense. This is, this is NATO is saying, well, we have satellite views of, 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 of troops moving in the interior of, of the Russian countryside. Therefore, Russia is planning to invade. That's a lie. I gather that they have people in or near Donbass in the Ukraine uh, that, that are preparing a chemical attack, and they're going to claim that it's coming from the Russians. And they, this will be the false flag excuse for whatever declaration of war. Some people profit from having a war, and, and they're disappointed that they, they don't have as many wars as they want, so they want another war. And I don't want to. I don't want to dignify this with any sort of. Well, you know, sable rattling has taken place on both sides. I mean, the, the, the Russians. Putin has come forward and sent his foreign minister or whatever to say, look, you know, this is what it takes to get us to be okay. You know, we don't want your weapon systems, your your nuclear missile systems on our borders. So, you know, if you don't expand NATO westward. You know, we're all happy clans. We're all cool little Fonzies. I, I think if you were planning to invade another country, you would forward and disperse, which means you would move troops forward and you would disperse them. If you're planning for a potential invasion, which the Russians have a history of being invaded, you would actually put your forces deeper into your own territory. So if anything, this looks more like a defensive precaution or a deterrence than anything offensive. It does. It does. And, and, and why do you do that? Well, that gives your forward troops time to dig in and make a defensive line. And you have to accept that when a lot of forces come across the border, they're, they're going to overwhelm the border forces. Yeah. You're not going to put your defensive line right at the border, <laughs> but you'll put it in the interior where it's harder to see and where it'll be stumbled across and it'll be more effective as a result. And holding territory is really not a concept in fourth generational warfare anyway. You're not going to hold any particular piece of ground because uh, enemies can c- concentrate and overwhelm yeah. any particular Well, I mean, location. holding territory hasn't really been a thing since World War I. Um, and it, it wasn't much of a thing then. It just well, got a lot of people killed. It, because it was a thing then, yeah, it was just a meat grinder, essentially. You know, right. who has more meat for the sausage? But... um. Really, World War II was about maneuver warfare, and maneuver warfare is about destroying the enemy, not about holding on to a town. Um, right. 
what they want, you know, the Russians have a tradition of using retreat as a powerful tactic. It it goes back a long ways. It goes back to their battles with the Mongols. So the Russians have a tradition of doing exactly what they're doing right now. The the fact that there are Western strategists and neocons describing this as some offensive action, it's not, you know, it's bizarre to me and you because we have common sense. But a lot of Americans, they actually do see the world now as everything is ours. Everything is ours. The whole world... Well, a lot of Americans also see the world as the authority says. The authority says to go get jabbed. I go to the, the pharmacy. It says that it's free. At Walmart's pharmacy, it's free to get the jab. So people you know, are in line. Every few days when I go there, I see a couple of people lining up to get jabbed, and they're, and they're, they're obediently... They're told by some voice on CNN, you know, which only has 847,000 viewers for their peak. You know, their, their, their number one news broadcast only gets that tiny less than a million viewers. But those people presumably say, well, some expert told me that this is all bad and therefore Russia bad, therefore you know, war good. And nobody wins a war, right? It's like winning an earthquake. I, the only, you know, here's a scenario that could play out. You know, they could set up a false flag. Um, NATO and other forces could set up a false flag, as you described, in those portions of the Ukraine that border Russia. And they could use that as a pretext to support, you know, the quote-unquote Ukrainian re-annexing of that area. That's messy enough. What gets really messy is what happens to the Crimea. Because people can debate whether or not certain portions of the Ukraine are the Ukraine, but the Crimea has been pretty much Russian up until the point that Khrushchev gave it back to the Ukraine during the 50s. But it's pretty much been a Russian uh, principate-controlled area for hundreds of years. And that was a contingent return. The the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic got the, the Crimea in a certain context that there would always be a Russian Black Sea fleet based there at what, Sevastopol or something? Sevastopol, that's right. And there would always be a certain amount of Russian presence there. And there was an expectation in the Soviet Union that people with a Russian ethnic heritage weren't going to be discriminated against by other Ukrainians. And so it was a contingent you know, grant uh, by Khrushchev. And it had a certain context that, you know, is conveniently forgotten by the people who want to say, well, but it's traditionally Ukraine. It's not, you know, and, and, and for some reason, this is a a place that's been fought over a bunch. I mean, you know, people, uh, when I was in school, we, we read poetry and, and we were expected to memorize some of it. And one of the famous poems is charge of the light brigade. Yep. Into the Valley of death. Into the Valley of Death, rode the, what is it, 600, some number of people who, you know, were stupid enough when they were given a horse to ride it towards and past enemy artillery positions. Yeah. Gosh, that sounds, you got a horse, why didn't you go? I mean, away from, from the fighting. <laughs> You've got a horse. Get out. No, they, 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 they were honorable officers and gentlemen. All hundreds and hundreds of them got cut down by shrapnel. 
I mean, yeah. yeah, the Crimean War, which happened in the early 1850s, um, the, you know, the Crimean War itself, really, well, I think the mid the mid 1850s, but the Crimean War itself was a debacle for many nations. It was a complete catastrophe. Nothing was ever really resolved other than the fact that the Russians kept, you know, full control of the Crimea. But the bottom line is it was a disaster for everyone involved. And yeah, that poem comes out of that disaster. It's a futility poem, dude. It's a poem of futility. It's the poem of going into the into the chainsaws, because that's what you do if you're brave. You, you know? Right, and that's what you do because you were told to obey. Yeah. And they have this thing called the Prussian military education system, which was brought to the United States in the 1840s by an evil little troll named Horace Mann. And what is the Prussian concept? Well, you put them all in, in, in rows and columns and you make them stand up at a bell and you send them around and you, 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 you put them through a certain amount of testing so that the smart ones you can track into an officer cadre and the rest are for the meat grinder. And that's the concept of Prussian schooling is that you have to have factory workers and you don't have to have them be very educated. So you want to make them obey and that's what that's what the public schools are boys and girls if you're sending your children to public schools you're making a mistake if you're sending yourself to the voting polls you're making a mistake if you're paying and filing all these papers with the government for taxes you're making a mistake give it up stop it well, it's crazy. And I just, you know, before we go to our final topic, I just want to say this. There is another angle you can look at all this Russian garbage from, and it's the angle of it's another way to stress people out and manage people and give them what I would call a preferred disaster. A lot of what they've been giving people, along with, you know, madness, is they've been giving people catastrophes that have these solutions. You know, you can get yourself vaccinated. We can fight the Russians. We can... You know, deal. Well, support the troops, Dan. Support the yeah, troops because there's but, a war in Iraq to, I don't know, weapons of mass destruction, lie, lie, lie. And there's some lies over here, and there's a bunch of American troops. And it's unpatriotic for you to have any questioning of the fact that, that, that evil people who hate Americans have gotten jobs as generals in the Pentagon and are sending American troops to bleed and die for the profits of their friends in the military-industrial complex. And we're supposed to believe that, that, that it's unpatriotic to, to voice any dissent. Of course. But again, this whole thing also looks like a form of powerlessness manipulation. Because here's the deal. You might be able to get a vaccination for a make-believe thing like COVID. But there's no vaccination I know of that's going to give you a higher probability of surviving a three or five year famine. So they've given people disasters that look like they have government solutions, but in reality, they've really been hiding probably the real problems facing people. It's, it's, it's kind of terrible. And people would prefer to just, I think this is an example of where the slave and the slave master cooperate. People don't want to deal with the truth, so they come up with these lesser catastrophes that look like they can be managed, and it makes people feel better. When in reality, it's a lot more like that planet coming towards the Earth, you know, in When Worlds Collide, and we need to know the truth. Whatever the truth is, is what we need to know. 
the truth could be simply this, and this is baked into the cake, that we are seeing the collapse of the U.S. dollar. And since the entire world for the last, you know, 50, 60, 70, almost 100 years, but definitely the last 50 years, has been entangled in a dollar um, scheme, a dollar grift, a dollar kind of organized crime, it just doesn't hurt us. It hurts everybody. And that could be the truth, but they don't want people to know that. You know? Well, no, because the chickens would come home to roost. I mean, the petrodollar and the euro dollar are scams, and and the, the dollar has been used. It's 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 toilet paper that's been sent out, and all of these goods and services have flown in, flowed in. And what 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 are people going to do at the other end of that when they find out that they're holding a bunch of toilet paper? Well, they're going to be pissed, and they're all going to be pissed at America. And you can say, well, but that was the Federal Reserve and I didn't have any power over that. Yeah, so fuck you. They're still going to come. Yeah. They're still going to be pissed and they're still going to make Americans, you know, bleed and, and, and die for what's been done to them. And, you know, is it fair? No, it's not fair. This year um, is a year, it's a sad year in the history of science fiction. It's a sad year in the history of libertarian science fiction, if only for one reason and a reason to talk about, this year L. Neil Smith died. And Jim, will you tell us a little bit about L. Neil Smith and then tell us about being on the editorial committee. You've been added to the editorial committee of the libertarian enterprise. So can you talk a little bit about L. Neil Smith, his passing, and what that means to you? Well, I first uh, ran into L. Neil Smith's book, The Probability Brooch, in a bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas. It was called Adventure, a bookstore, and one of the things it had was a lot of science fiction novels. They also had action-adventure novels, and they had, I imagine they had some romance novels, but I don't, I don't remember seeing that in there. But they had a lot of good books, and I would go in and... Um, and spend time in the science fiction book section, and here was this book, and, uh, you know, 15 pages in or something, a a Denver cop uh, chases a bad guy through a portal into a parallel universe. And it's a pretty cool book. And uh, the probability approach is probably one of the greatest science fiction novels ever written. It, it, it shows what would be possible if the American people had benefited from one additional word in the Declaration of Independence. If Thomas Jefferson had written, governments derive their just powers from the unanimous consent of the people, we would have a completely different thing. And one of the results that he immediately envisioned as a result of that penetrating into the psyche of the people who were fighting the American Revolution is that when the when the Whiskey Rebellion came up, you know, Albert Gallatin organized people much better and Washington and Hamilton were shot as traitors. And things went back to the Articles of Confederation. And and the the speed at which Americans, you know, became uh, effective frontiersmen and, and developed all sorts of new inventions, you know, Technology was much greater by the time you get up into the 1980s, which is where he had set this novel. Um, and, and it is a really interesting book. And, and Neil, Neil Smith wrote dozens and dozens of really, really interesting books. And, and L. Neil Smith liked um, 
to drink some and he liked to eat you know carbohydrate rich foods and he had diabetes and he started having paralysis and he started having um, you know difficulty with um, you know the, the 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 symptoms of diabetes and and he took his medicines but he didn't you know uh, comply as much maybe as uh, somebody might have you know insisted that he should and um, and this year he was taken to hospital and his family was not allowed in to the hospital in uh, Fort Collins Colorado I gather that's where he was um, because of the COVID nonsense and because of this and that and and he was an old man and he died alone and that's how our culture the american civilization you know treated one of the great authors of the 20th and 21st century and so yeah um one of the nonfiction uh projects he came up with way way back in 1995 was an online uh, journal called the Libertarian Enterprise, and it's found at uh, well, uh, you know, you know Star Trek. All of their ships have NCC dash and then a number, right? Yeah. And so, for the Libertarian Enterprise, which is an enterprise of sorts, and it's an activity where you know freedom is important. The the um, the domain name is NCC hyphen seventeen seventy six dot org. And um, I was uh, invited by a friend of mine to read his book. Bob Boardman gave me his book, uh, Light Your Own Fire. It's a nice little libertarian uh, science fiction novel. And I wrote a review of it, and he sent it to his, I think, sister-in-law, Ying Boardman. And uh, it was published in the Libertarian Enterprise, I want to say sometime like November of 1995. And I began writing... uh, and uh, responding in the letters column to people, and 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 we would we would have discussions and conversations. I met Neil in October of two thousand two at um, the Freedom Summit in Phoenix. He was a speaker, and I was one of the guests. And I corresponded with him, and um, we both agree that you know property is one of those. Um, important aspects of freedom and that um, a propertarian would, would, would say that uh, individual liberty derives from your uh, ownership of your body and your ownership of your possessions and that this is where you know, it all matters and that all of these concepts of rights that are derived from governmental authority is nonsense. It's not, that's not, they, the, the rights existed before the government did, so they couldn't possibly have given it to you. And, uh, you know, and, and, and there was, um, there's a whole culture of freedom uh, based around the online presence of some of these things. In 2000, um, I think it was June of 2001, Jason Sorens wrote a letter, and then there was an article about the Free State Project, and it got started in the Libertarian Enterprise. Uh, in 2018, a friend of mine, Sonora Jack, composed an essay called Caledonia Beckons about an independent tribe of, uh, of Americans who would work together and provide mutual aid and help one another. And that got started in the Libertarian Enterprise. 
And um, yeah, and so there is a group of us now who have written for the publication. And uh, Kathy Smith, uh, L. Neil Smith's widow, and his daughter Rilla um, are in charge of the the project. They are the publishers. And um, there's a group of us like, you know, Kent McManigal and Ken Holder and me and several others who have been uh, named to the the editorial board and we're working out the transition now that El El Neal has um, has passed on and uh, doing what we can. So as a member of the editorial committee of the Libertarian Enterprise, what is it you're going to be mostly doing? Just reviewing submissions? Well, I think we we will probably end up doing that. Uh, For now, that's handled by Ken Holder, who is uh, still editor, but he is... um, in his uh, 70s and has has moved from Arizona to Texas um, last year and uh, spending more time with his grandchildren um, and doesn't want to do as much and so he will I guess be like editor emeritus or something and um, and reviewing submissions will become a task for uh, members of the editorial uh, committee but also uh, we're writing a business plan because um, if you visit the site, it's a good site, but it isn't, and I think it's actually in WordPress, but it isn't, uh, it isn't tremendously sophisticated. So I think that we could sell more ads if we uh, put together, uh, there's some plugins for, you know, uh, paying uh, commissions to people who book advertising sales. And there's different ways that we could, we could improve the, the site. And there's different ways that we could set up for premium content. I think that Zero Hedge, I don't know if you go to Zero Hedge, right? Yeah, I still do because they're the asbestia to all the other Pravda. But yeah, I still do sometimes. And as we know, there is no truth in the news. There is no news. Well, you, as long you got to be a Sovietologist at this point. If you're not a good Sovietologist, you're never you're not going to get any information at all. But yeah, that's right. Well, and, and I think the skepticism is is rational. But a couple of years ago, they began to face um, attack because their advertisers, like Google AdWords, is a major source of online ad revenue, and uh, their social media presence was shut down because they had unmoderated comments and somehow this meant that only white supremacists were saying things uh, and so they lost a lot of ad revenue and so they created a premium content channel which I've looked at they had a free weekend recently and I looked at it and it's really well done it's it's impressive and I think that there are people who are good writers who would attract a um, a subscription based um, you know uh, model if, if, if you knew that, that uh, I don't know, Jeffrey Tucker and Lou Rockwell and, and Wendy McElroy were writing for the um, uh, premium side of the libertarian enterprise, there might be, you know, some money in it for uh, a subscriber might put in a couple of bucks a, a month, you know, uh, through some channel, uh, Patreon or, or one of these cryptocurrency channels like Linktree. Um, and, and, and so we're looking at that and, and I'm writing a business plan and we're talking about it and, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's an online publication that has a lot of history. We're going into 2022 and it started in 1995. So, you know, that's 27 years. Um, 
that's a lot of, of history. And so there are things that have always been done this way. And why, why do we do it this way? Well, because it has ever been thus. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and so um, that's part of, of the work uh, is to decide what, what changes to make and how to improve things and make it reach a wider audience. And there's a Facebook group if people want to join the Libertarian Enterprise Facebook group. You know, that's a channel for um, this sort of discussion. And um, there is uh, – uh, I've written a couple of articles recently. I'm going to try to do an article every week um, about uh, what to expect. Um, we happen to be uh, approaching uh, the, the birth of the Savior – so um, traditionally between um, Christmas and New Year's, there's no issue. Um, and I think we'll be uh, back uh, in uh, normal operations in early January, I think the second weekend in January. And it comes out about every weekend and, um, you know, unless there's a reason not to. And um, if you look, it's well into the uh, above a thousand issues uh, that have, have come out. So it has some uh, tradition and some, some heritage and um, we're not going to mess it up. That's part of, part of the promise is we're not going to make it worse. We're going to make it better. Well, that's a good, a good philosophy. Once again, that's NCC 1776.org, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That dash being a hyphen. The minus sign. So NCC minus sign 1776.org is the Libertarian Enterprise, and um, I really applaud your work with that. And I'm really glad you could give us a view, a perspective on L. Neil Smith. Um, I yeah. do remember you mentioning that you met him once, I think. You were at a conference. And yeah, you had, yeah, yeah, the Freedom pizza. Summit 2002. Yeah. That's actually a, really a seminal moment for me because I took Southwest Airlines from Houston to Phoenix, and I didn't think anything of it, but um, I was met at the airport by this scrutiny, and I was undressed in the boarding gate area. You know, they had my pants around my ankles, and I was like, are we going to do this every time? I'm not going to do this. Listen, I've gotten, I, I no longer fly for a number of reasons, not least of which I am a hobo. I don't have the money. But I got my junk grabbed enough by TSA. I, I just don't, I have nothing to do with it. I mean, I, I am not an attractive man. I don't know why another man or woman who has to do that every day want to grab my crotch, but that happened more than once. It was fucked up. Yeah, and it's not, it's not like there's anything about what, Teddy Kennedy pushed through into the 1978 Civil Aviation Reform Act that makes any sense. It didn't make any sense then. It didn't make any sense on any of my visits to Africa and Middle Eastern countries where they had a boarding gate and they would set up a metal detector and, and, and hurt us all through metal detectors. And there were so many, you know, obvious ways and these and these these crowded little call them what they are third world country airports where you know you could you could deliver a, a package of pistols and ammunition to the plane. There's no security. Nobody was secure. 
Teddy Kennedy was a lying asshole who didn't have the integrity of his brothers. He didn't. He was not Bobby, and he was not John F. Kennedy. Uh, oh, and I should probably mention that I'm reading a really interesting book, uh, Coup in Dallas, by uh, Al Borelli and uh, Alan Kent. It's my buddy who sent it to me. He's one of the co-authors, and Leslie Sharp. It's about all of the people in uh, the deep state and you know, their connections to uh, the Nazi rat lines in Spain, Italy, and uh, you know, who actually did what to kill uh, to kill John F. Kennedy? You said when Teddy Kennedy when when they when they when they when they uh, reformed civil aviation for a while, you could fly from New York City to Los Angeles for a hundred bucks one way. On People's Express. They opened it up. It was uh, almost totally deregulated under Jimmy Carter, except they added this crap to the airports. They, they, they put in place a federal security system which says that Americans don't have a right to keep and bear arms. It's clearly unconstitutional. And we weren't made safe. We weren't made safer because assholes with box cutters were able to grab four planes, according to the official story. Right. And, and fly them into buildings. So how are we safer? We weren't. We're not. All of this theater is nonsense. It's lies. It's learned helplessness, Jim. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And you know. And one of the things about the the, the you, you've seen this Zapruder film, right? Yeah. You, you know, there's a scene where 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 Jack is 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 obviously injured and and. Uh, and Jackie Kennedy is sitting next to him, and she's trying to see whether he's going to be okay. And a few frames later, she's obviously freaked out. Her husband's dead, and she's in a car with murderers. Yeah. And she tries to climb onto the back. She tries to climb onto the trunk of this limousine and get away from these people. And other Secret Service agents come up and kind of force her back into her seat. And they speed off to Parkland Hospital or wherever. That's right. But it's real obvious that Jackie knew who killed her husband. She knew that she was in a car with his murderers. And she didn't want to be in that car. And I look at that as a brutal film, and every time that just, 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 just wrenches at me. Well, knowing I, that know. she, you know, knowing that the, 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 the people who organized this were going to make Lyndon Johnson president, and she was going to have to stand in that stupid airplane watching a Supreme Court justice swear in the man who benefited from her husband's murder. I mean, it's just, it's, she's wearing the dress with his brain tissue and blood on her. While while she's watching LBJ become president, well, there it's so yeah, horrific. It is horrific, Jim. Um, and and I'll make a bold prediction. I think the U.S. government will collapse long before we ever find out the truth from them about what happened. Um, no, right? No, uh, there's still ten thousand pages that they're not willing to release. You know, ten thousand pages. This particular book is based on a private journal kept by a guy who was. Uh, Actually, went by Jean-Paul Lafitte, which is which is uh, pseudonym for most of his life. He was the guy who uh, pretty much project managed the whole thing in Dallas, 
and and got all of the kill teams in the place and uh, and they wasted the president and if you know and and that's one of the things about learned helplessness and if they can kill the president of the United States and get away with it and not be punished all these years what 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 can they do to any but that's people all people have to yeah. learn to take control of their own lives they need to learn about herbal medicine and other ways to stay healthy they need to learn how to keep and bear arms how to hit a target from 50 yards or 500 yards they need to know what they're doing because you can't expect anybody to come rescue you guys nobody's coming nobody's coming to help you the government is not going to send a team to rescue you you're going to have to face the rest of your life as an adult and you're going to have to teach your kids self-reliance but that's okay because that's really the way it's always been and you've been living in a bubble and the bubble's burst. Hey, before we go, Jim, um, can I ask you a question? Would you have availability a week from now to do a predictions for the new year podcast? Yeah, that sounds like fun. Okay, so how about you plan on same time next Friday, December the 31st, we will do predictions for the new year. Christmas and, Eve and New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah dude, you, you won the, tri- the Difecta or whatever. Difecta? I don't want to die. <laughs> That's not that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it would be fun because I think that we touched on a lot of things. And for our listeners, the main purpose of this was to do a recap because even if you're listening to me from Anchor.fm, uh, my podcast has been around for a few years. It's just that recently... I was driven off of several platforms, and a lot of my property was ripped off by GoDaddy. So I've been doing the best I can on Anchor, but Jim and I have had a lot of conversations, and I feel like, yeah, it would be good next Friday to do a kind of where do you think we're headed uh, in the new year. And before you go, Jim, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and say, do you have anything else you want to say? No, I don't, and I, I have uh, told people on, on, on Twitter, I have a number of Twitter followers, I think the number is something like 9,500, and I have some Facebook friends, like 3,500, and I don't know, every year uh, it gets weirder and weirder on the social media platform, so I, I think maybe a couple hundred people actually can see anything I post on either of those platforms, but um, People should expect that it's uh, that this is going to come out after you've um, edited and uploaded it, right? Yeah, it'll take about thirty minutes usually. Yeah, it's not um, a live show, but um, I really, really appreciate you for doing this because we've done this a lot. And I remember, wait—is it February of of twenty twenty that we March, began? March, March twenty twenty. It was early yeah. March, and and we were looking at at what was we were being told all these lies about this. This, this, this Wuhan virus, and we knew that we were being lied to then. And it's just been a crazy journey, man, but I really appreciate you. Well, it's, I mean, it's been a blessing. Can you imagine they've managed to stretch out Snow Day for almost two years? I, you know, we, we, we didn't think that was possible. At the time, we were saying, no, you can't have Snow Day forever. You gotta, you gotta do something else. And then, well, fires in the cities, rioting. Okay, that's a thing. Yeah, that's clearly something else. So, you know, but, 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 uh, Jim, Jim, here's how it happened. Okay. Here's how it happened. Somewhere at Langley, they were listening to you and I on a podcast and they said, okay, hold my goblet of baby's blood. <laughs> you know, like hold my beer, but yes, 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 exactly. Hold my, yes, you, you say we can't make this last two years. Hold my goblet of blood. 
Yeah, yeah, no, they, they're, uh, they're definitely yeah. getting their extra level of adenochrome, and, and they're definitely mass-murdering baby rapers. Every CIA agent, it's actually quoted in this book, one of them says, every one of us should go to hell. Yeah. We deserve to go to hell. Every person in the CIA, you know, they, 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 they knew that then. That, that was in the 60s, this guy said this. They know. They know that they are doing evil for evil people, and and they're willing to keep doing it. That's the amazing thing is that is that the people who think they run the world have these minions who are willing to do horrible things, not just to babies, but to to, to you know to anybody in any office. The president isn't safe. The president of the United States isn't safe from these people. They can kill whoever they want. And what is that? That's nothing. Of course you can destroy. Of course you can kill. Can you make anything? Can they make anything? Is anybody in Langley competent to make a thorium nuclear reactor? No. But they can screw one up. Yeah. yeah. We should talk about next year. We I will. look forward to our next session, my friend. Well, I want you to have um, a merry and blessed Christmas. And you know, I pray for you as I pray for all my friends. And to all my listeners out there, um, I will have links to appropriate places related to Jim's work, but I will also have a link to a PayPal account. Currently, I'm between projects, and uh, I could use any money people are able to donate to fund the podcast. I will tell you straight up that before you you know, donate money to my PayPal account, you need to take care of yourself, your food, your water, your shelter, the people you love – and do those things necessary because currently the plates are all spinning. But I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Neither Jim or I really know. I suspect we're close, but I suspected we were close a year ago. So they still got the plates spinning. But at some point the plates will the plates will stop spinning. They will hit the ground. They will shatter. And the grocery stores where you live in the city won't have food. So I I would love it if you can donate, but if you can't, that's okay. Sometimes the best you could do is just recommend my show to other people. And if you've already donated to this podcast, you're not required to donate again. I have a lot of very generous people out there who donate, you know, I think too much. But again, um, I'm just putting it out there. If you're able to, do it, but you don't have to. And other than that, I hope everyone has, if you don't hear from me again before Christmas, I have a podcast I'll probably do before Christmas. Well, I don't know if I'll get it done before tomorrow, but if you don't hear hear from me before Christmas, Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Um, bless your families. Bless uh, you know the people out there fighting for freedom, like Jim and others. Let's pray for each other, but let's also work for a free world. And that means, as a first step, turning away from those things that are evil, including the lies that we're constantly fed. So once again, Jim, Merry Christmas. Merry and, Christmas. Yeah, God thank bless you. you. God bless you too. And Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Bye-bye.